0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we do again thank you for bringing us together. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to come, pray, together, worship together, study together, and as always, Lord, we ask that you grant understanding, sanctify us by your truth, your word is truth. I ask that you enable me to speak, the edification of your people, Lord, for Salvation of those who may not know You, and Lord, ultimately for Your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, First Timothy chapter 1. Actually, we're going to be in chapter 2, but I want to start reading in chapter 1, verse 18. Any questions on any of this before we move on? Okay, good. I've got one. Um, what was Paul's reason for writing to Timothy what's the verse that we've been using to kind of as the key verse here to kind of sum up what these instructions are about Bob are you raising your hand man? <laughs> huh chapter three verse fifteen yeah Thank you, thank you. Well, let's look at that briefly. Um, here, Paul gives Timothy his re- reason for writing. Now, keep in mind as we go through this, because we, we obviously we're, we're going to apply a lot of these things uh, individually and um, you could say universally in the sense of at the universal church as a whole. But keep in mind, uh, th- there's some intimacy here. Paul is writing to a young pastor of a church, of a local congregation. So the instructions that he's giving to Timothy here targeted at a local congregation in the city of Ephesus. So again, he gives this reason, and I'm going to read this again because I want us to have it in mind as we go through these first few verses in chapter 2. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, or the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So he says, I'm writing so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, or we could paraphrase it this way, in the family of God. That is, we are members of his household. And Paul is writing to Timothy so that we may know when when we come together specifically, and again, there's a, a lot of a lot of things here that we can apply uh, in various ways, but but um, primarily, he's talking about this local congregation when they gather. So it's how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household of God when we come together, and the household of God is not a building. But it is the church, the called out ones of the living God. It's pretty good. It's not a, it's real good. It's not a, it's not a, a building of, of bricks and, or wood. It's a living edifice of the living God. That the church is the people of God. Which is the church, the called out ones of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth? There, he just kind of, uh, in one brief little statement, just kind of says what the church, um, what the church's primary function is here in the world. We we hold forth the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now that's certainly true of of the uh, the church as a whole, universally all Christians everywhere but it's also true of the local church in any given any any given local church in any given community we are we are there to represent the truth represent the truth so he's he's giving instruction here and, and we're, we're kind of getting into the uh, first bits of it here in chapter two a, after you know following his introduction and his is a uh, brief testimony about his own uh, his own experience uh, with the gospel, and, and then he begins to lay these things out for Timothy. Now, now remember one more thing we got to keep in mind here is that the charge that he has given Timothy to deal with um, false teachers. Back in chapter one, verse three, I urge you when I when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, or command some that they teach no other doctrine. And then you get down to verse 18, uh, and, and he mentions the charge again. And this is where I want to pick up. I'll read verse 18 through verse 7 of chapter 2. This charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymeneus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Uh, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. All right, so again, keep a couple of things in mind here. All right, so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. And verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So as he begins to move into his instructions, he tells Timothy... Or reminds Timothy, exhorts Timothy to wage good warfare, noble warfare, for a for a uh, a good cause and truth, or the truth. That's what we talked about last week. Um, We we stand for the truth. Now you see that again here. Um, Just uh, again, you may have noticed that as we were reading through. For example, Paul says of himself in verse 7, I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. In verse 4, he says of God that he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This, this is what the warfare is all about. It is, it is getting the, the truth out there, um, holding forth the truth. The church... The called out ones of God, The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We we hold it. We hold the truth out there for the world to uh, to hear, to see, to know. We want them to know the truth. And like we talked about last week, it's a it's, it's a battle for, for the minds. you have got the all of the things of the world, um, our our own uh, fleshly nature. Fighting um, for, our, uh, for our devotion, for our attention, and then you have the truth of God. And we present the truth, and we actually do a, a, a form of spiritual warfare uh, as we do this. And, and we're going to talk about a little bit here about how that plays out tonight. But uh, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Our weapons are not fleshly, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. We battle with the truth as our weapon. Alright, so, now he gets into the instruction. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, after he has given Timothy this charge, after he has um, spoken of the false teachers... Uh, false doctrine, um, and you know, the need to, uh, to deal with those things. He, he gives an example uh, of, his, of himself dealing with those things in verse 20. Uh, doing the good warfare, he says, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. It's interesting, isn't it? He talks about warfare, doing warfare. Some people get uh, offended at that kind of language today. <laughs> but, but, but it's a metaphor. He, he, again, as we said before, we don't take up arms. We don't take up, we don't take up, up guns and swords and go after people. Um, we take up the truth and put it out there. And we pray. And this is where the warfare starts. Therefore, I exhort first of all. This is, this is when Paul begins to tell Timothy, here's how you, uh, as, a, as a young pastor, and here's how your local congregation are to conduct yourself in the household of God. Here's how you are to act as the family of God. Here's how you are to war for the truth. Fight the good fight. The very first thing that he brings out is prayer. I exhort, first of all, that you pray. 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 Essential. Pray. In Luke 18, (coughs) Jesus gives a parable, and Luke tells us it was to this end that men might always pray and not Faint or not lose heart. First Thessalonians five seventeen, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, Pray without ceasing. Jesus instructs his disciples in Matthew twenty six, Garden of Gethsemane, watch and pray. It's be alert, be alert and pray. Peter First Peter four seven says, "But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers." Again, the, the idea of watching or watchful is the idea of being alert. Be serious, be alert in your prayers. Don't uh, you, we're in a battle. You're in warfare. Don't don't doze off. Don't fall asleep on duty. Be alert in your prayers. Be serious. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Paul tells Timothy, "I exhort first of all, and, and again, there seems to be a the implication seems to be that he, he's saying this is this is of utmost importance. This is the primary thing. This is where we start. Pray, pray. Everything everything else we do needs to be bathed in." Prayer I exhort first of all that supplications prayers intercessions <clears throat> be made for all men um, he uses three different words there as you can see even in the English three different words there for prayer that are that are very very closely related um, just uh, little different nuances. Um, Probably just to highlight the different aspects of prayer, uh, supplications, the idea of, uh, of um, making requests. Prayers here is, a, is a, probably the most common uh, word for prayer used in the New Testament. Um, just a general word for prayer, but always referring to God. So, so it's talking about uh, like not just making requests to men, but, but when you pray, when you speak to God. And then intercessions, of course, the idea of praying for someone. So, like I say, all these words, it's almost like saying the same thing three times, but just just a little different nuances. So, it kind of gives you a a, a full range of what prayer is. So, he says, I exhort that you do these things. I exhort you, Timothy. I exhort uh, the believers there that you pray. Offer supplications, prayers, intercessions. And giving of thanks for all men. Pray for them. Give thanks for them. Pray. Now, why pray? <clears throat> well, again, we're the pillar and ground of the truth. We, we hold forth, forth the truth. And the objective is that men would come to know the truth. So, so we, we pray for one another, but also here, uh, what he has more in mind here is praying for everybody else out there, that they would come to know the truth. Offer supplications, prayers, I exhort that supplications, prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That, that, that's always interesting to me because uh, in spite of the fact that down through the centuries... Uh, we, we've seen time and time again that the church tends to flourish under persecution. Um, in spite of that, we, we, we have good grounds here in 1 Timothy 2, 2 to pray for peace, pray for a peaceful situation. Uh, and I, I think the reason why, what Paul has in mind here, is that the gospel can spread freely. Now, he, he lived in a time where there was uh, quite a bit of persecution. Um, so he's, he's exhorting Timothy, you, you pray. Pray for all men, kings, those in authority, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. That's, that's the desire, is to, to live godly. "...and reverently, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus." who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So, so here's the thing. Paul says pray for everybody because there's when it comes to salvation, when it comes to uh, the way to be saved, there's one way. The truth. Church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We, we hold out the truth. So that the world may come to know the truth. That's that's the objective. There's there's one way. So it's a, um, and, and this this is an amazing thing to me because I, when you hear people on the outside, especially in our day, we get in our country we get a lot of criticism. Uh, Christians get a lot of criticism from the media, uh, from uh, well, from just unbelievers in general. And here's the kind of thing you, you usually hear. Um, and we're usually criticized because we believe that there's one way. Christianity is too exclusive. You know, we, we think that Jesus is the only way. We've got good grounds for that. <laughs> but, but anyway... They they see that as as just um, being too exclusive. Um, I remember seeing a a video clip. It was not too long ago, from you know Oprah Winfrey standing on her show and saying uh, that there there cannot be just one way. Quite a statement, isn't it? In spite of what God's Word says, so they see it as being as as us being too exclusive, and yet was true. there's only one way, and yet, the point that Paul is making here is this is the very reason that we must get the truth out there to everybody. it's it's not it's not like, okay, we've got the truth, and uh, you know we just kind of huddle up, keep it to ourselves, and everybody else can perish. it's it's we do know the truth, christ Jesus is the truth, and therefore, because there's one way, the truth, we need to get it to them. And and this is, the again, the objective behind his prayer. Pray for all men. The objective being that they would come to know the truth. Um, actually, if you think about it, the, the fact that there's one way really... Kind of simplifies it, doesn't it? All right, now let me point out a few things here um, because, <clears throat> um, well, because I think this is important. This this passage is is, is not specifically talking about uh, the doctrine of election, or um, you know, for or against. This this is a passage that, that gets used a lot supposedly to disprove the doctrine of election. Uh, let me say clearly, first of all, that's, that's, this is not Paul's main point, one, word, one way or the other. Um, but I, I think this is worth pointing out here because he does say some things here that certainly bring that, that doctrine to the, uh, to the surface by his uh, use of the word all, all. I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Right, now, his, his main point right there is that there's one way, right? There's one truth in, in, this, uh, in this regard. One way to God. One mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. So he says in verse, uh, verse 1, Prayer should be made for all men. All men everywhere. Again, as I said, this, this is not something we're trying to hold to ourselves and intentionally keep others out. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As you go, make disciples. All the world. Because there's only one way. Now, so he says, pray for all men And for kings and all who are in authority. And then he says, verse 4, God desires all men to be saved. Come to the knowledge of truth, for there is one God, one mediator. I was joking earlier, I I said, uh, uh, you know, when Bob read the my name there and it said passed by and I said, you know, this this is a, a good example of why context is so important because it had my name and it said passed, but it was under the heading college. That that makes all the difference. If it had if the heading had said deaths and then it said skip rainbow, past that would have a totally different meaning, wouldn't it? But the heading said "College Skip Rainbow Pass." Now, if you just took the phrase "Skip Rainbow Pass," then that's kind of open for interpretation. If you pull it out of context, you say, "Well, uh, did he? What does that mean? Does that mean did he pass another vehicle on the Interstate? Did he die?" Or did he uh, advance to the next semester <laughs> or grade level? And everybody could kind of weigh in and say, well, you know, to me it means he passed another vehicle on interstate. And you say, well, that's that's awesome. But to me it means that he died. And And we could come up with all these different meanings... And it would be so helpful if we just looked at the context and see the heading. It says, College, Past. Oh, okay. Now, in context, there's not much to dispute about. Now, I said all that for this reason. When, when reading the Bible, context is so, so important. All right? So, and, and I... I, I I made a statement a while back. I don't even remember when it was, but uh, probably uh, somewhat unfairly because I didn't explain. But I, but I I said one uh, service when I was talking that all doesn't always mean all. Well, here we are at an at an example. Okay, if 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 you think that all means every single individual, uh, that's not always the case. Or all whatever it's talking about. I'm going to show you another example in just a second. First, let me say this. Think of the context of the whole New Testament. You've got a ethnic group, Hebrews, Jews, who have essentially believed for centuries that salvation was for them and them alone. And they were so steeped in that belief that when for example when Jesus gave the parable of the good quote unquote Samaritan and that's the reason he used a Samaritan in that parable, um, it, it was it, it it was just foreign to their thinking. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. And why would why would Jesus, a Jew, make a point about doing what is right and good and use a Samaritan. I mean, they um, just had utter disdain for the Samaritans and thought of all Gentiles, uh, as and the Samaritans were, were half and half, but they thought of all Gentiles as being dogs. That's the mindset of the New Testament era. When the Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus seeking healing, he turned to her and said, it's it's not right for me to give the children's food to dogs. Now, what he's you kind of get the picture there. What he, what he's saying It's a uh, just a picture uh, picturesque way of saying it. If, if if you had your family sitting around a table and you've got a good meal there for your kids, you don't want to take the kids' food and give it to the little dog. At least I don't, and Jesus didn't, but. Some people might, but <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to give the kids food to the little dog. That's what Jesus is saying. You're not a Jew is what he was saying. And it's not meat. It's not right for me to give the children's food to the little dogs. A Gentile. But because she persisted, she said, Lord, even, even the little dogs eat of the food that falls from the table. she understood, and she didn't get all offended and walk away. She knew that's the way the Jews thought of the Gentiles. She understood the mindset. The point is this. They thought salvation was for the Jews and the Jews alone. Part of the revelation of the New Testament is that, no, it's not for Jews only. It's for all people. All people. Everywhere. Another example of that is um, too long for us to read tonight, but uh, uh, you might want to hold your place here, but turn there anyway, Acts chapter 10. I'm not going to read the whole account because it is lengthy, but you may want to go back and read it yourself. This is the first time the gospel goes to the Gentiles, even though Jesus has already... Prophesied it. You can go back to Acts 1, and he said this is what he's going to do. It's going to go to the uh, uttermost part of the earth. It doesn't sink in because this is so foreign to them. So God puts Peter in a trance in Acts 10 and gives him a vision where there are all manner of beast. And let me let me read this part of it. Um, verse ten, this is talking about Peter. Verse 10, Acts 10, 10. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four footed animals of the earth. Now Come back to this, but note that word all right there. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. These are unclean animals, you know, according to the Jewish dietary law that was given to them by God. So, in the, in the vision, Peter's saying, no way, no way am I going to eat that. And then verse 15, the Lord says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, look at verse 16. This was done three times. The, <laughs> the, the, Lord, the, the whole point of the vision is, Peter, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. Don't you call "...unclean what I have cleansed." And that's true. The the, the dietary law is over with. But that's not the point of this vision. The point of this vision is that Peter must now carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And you see how quick he picks up on that? The Lord had to do this three times. And then the Lord tells him to go with these men that Cornelius... I'm going to have to give you the short version. You can go back and read it yourself. But uh, Cornelius, the Gentile, sends men to get Peter at the Lord's instruction. And the Lord tells Peter to go with them. Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and essentially stands there and says, Here I am. What can I do for you? <laughs> after the vision, after the Holy Spirit telling him to go, after a man who he don't, doesn't even know sends people to him to get him... He still doesn't understand that he's supposed to preach the gospel to them. Why? Because they're Gentiles. They're Gentiles. Read Acts 10 and 11, and you'll see for yourself. Peter couldn't get it. That's how strong the mindset was. He couldn't get it in his head that God is going to save the Gentiles. That's the context of the New Testament. So, back over here in Timothy, Paul says, All men... I submit to you this. What he's saying is, and he doesn't mean every single individual. He means all manner of men. In other words, not Jews only. I lost my place here. I don't, I don't want to leave Acts too quick. I've got one more thing to point out there before we get done. All right, so let's look again quickly at First Timothy 2. Even the context here, I think, bears this out because he's talking about um, different ma- all manner of men. I, I, Therefore, I exhort first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. So there, you've got different types that we may lead a quiet, peaceful life, godliness, and reverence. And then you get down to verse uh, 5, and he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So, he, what he has in mind is all manner of men. Therefore, he wants them to know there's one God and one mediator between God and man. Doesn't matter who the man is, doesn't matter if he's Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter if he was born in the United States. Doesn't matter if he was born in South Africa or Indonesia or wherever. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, whoever the man is. And that mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. Now, one more thing. Look, look at um, verse 3, 1 Timothy 2 3 for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior that's talking about living in godliness and reverence who verse 4 who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth now the word all there means all but when i say all doesn't always mean all what i'm what i'm what i'm talking about is it doesn't mean every single thing person or every single beast in the case of Acts 10 First Timothy 2:4 Who desires all and I'm going to paraphrase here who desires all manner of men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one god and one mediator so it doesn't matter what manner of man you are what, what your ethnicity is, what your nationality is, there's one man. God desires that all kinds of men be saved. In fact, you get over into Revelation and you find that there's not... got a friend up here. You get over into Revelation and you find that there's not every single person there, but there is people from every tribe, kindred tongue, and nation, all manner of men represented in heaven. One more thing, Acts chapter 10, back to Peter's vision for just a moment. Acts chapter 10, verse 12, in his vision, he says, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, the word kinds is not in the Greek text. It's, it is supplied by the translators because that is what he's talking about. But if you if you brought it across literally, it would say, "In it, that is in the sheet in the vision, were all four-footed animals of the earth." Now, if we treat that the same way that most people treat uh, some of these other verses, like First Timothy two four then you would have to say that every single four-footed animal of the earth was in that sheet that came down to Peter from heaven. And that's obviously, uh, I mean, there's no reason to believe that, right? Even though it says all, all four-footed animals of the earth, clearly um, it means all kinds. The Jews were under a dietary law. There were many animals that were unclean that they were not allowed to partake of. In this sheet were all kinds of four-footed so, the word kinds is not there. It's supplied by the translators. Rightfully so. I mean, they, they exactly what they should have done. They did. And, uh, and you're going to find something like that in all the major translations. All kinds. Well, you have the same structure over here. It's the same word all over here in 1 Timothy 2.4, but they did not supply the word kinds or manner. So, it reads, Who desires all men to be... Saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So I'm just simply saying this. I think clearly, uh, in the context of the, of the Bible, of the whole, well, the whole Bible, sorry to say the whole New Testament, but really, you, you take in the whole Bible. This was a shocking thing for the Jews that the Gentiles are now included. And so, you you see this brought out a lot. John says in his his epistle that Jesus is the propitiation, not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Oh, well, he means every single person. No, he means all kinds of people. All kinds of people. If Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of every single person in the whole world, then nobody is lost. It's either universalism or the doctrine of election, which I think is what the Scripture clearly teaches. All right, And we don't have time to go through all that. But again, I I think it helps us here to know all that. And one reason I wanted to deal with that is because the question gets brought up so much. But also, it helps us see his main point, that there is one truth. We need to pray for all men, all manner of men, all kinds of men. We need to get the gospel out to everybody because God desires that all kinds of people be saved why Jesus said, you start in Jerusalem, you go to Judea, you go to Samaria, and then you go to the ends of the earth. Because in heaven, every people group will be represented. Not, not every single person will be there, but every people group will be represented. They were there from every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, every nation. So, we're the church. We're the church. We're the pillar and ground of the truth. The truth is this, there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. doesn't matter if you're born in Shreveport, Louisiana, or Ghana, West Africa. There is one way of salvation. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. And there's that word again. All types of people. All kinds of people. So, you have verse 1, instruction to pray for all men. Verse 4, God desires all men to be saved. And verse 6, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. For which, Paul says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Truth. It's all about the truth. There's one truth and that's what he's saying. We should live it. Pray that we can live in a peaceable, uh, live a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence and proclaim it, so that men might, verse four, come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, we'll stop there and pick up in verse eight next time. One way of salvation, faith in Jesus Christ, period. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this truth. We thank You for Your saving grace. Lord, thank You for the knowledge of the truth that we didn't come to on our own. It was granted, given by You. Lord, we're grateful and we pray for... Uh, wisdom in holding forth this truth in, in our, our own uh, community, in our workplaces, and uh, schools, places that we go. Lord, uh, enable us to stand for the truth. One way of salvation. One mediator between God and man. One who has made atonement for our sins the man Christ Jesus. Lord, let it all be for Your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.